You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is brought to you by Moss, making forests more magical, one non-vascular plant at a time. everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm your host, Steve. And Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Each week, I invite a guest who shares with me about a plant that means something to them. And then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Listeners to the podcast will know, however, that that fake bell sound means we're having a special episode where we're only going to talk about one plant. Now, traditionally, that's because the plant that the guest chose was on my secret list of plants, and so I have something to say about that plant as well. But that's not really the case today. I don't have a ton of experience with this plant, but it's something I'm really interested in, and I think as the show has evolved and we've done a lot of episodes, I want to open up the idea to have single plant episodes when there's a plant that's really interesting and the guest is really an expert on that plant. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do... I have a little vocabulary. We haven't done any vocabulary for a little while. I want to talk about two words, and those words will come up later in the episode, so you'll know what they mean and have a better understanding when you hear them. It's words that I really didn't have in my head until recently. So those words are dioecious and monoecious, and these are two ways to classify plants, and it's pretty simple. A dioecious plant is a plant that has both male and female plants. So there's one plant that will have all the male flowers and one plant that will have all the female flowers. And you need both to, you know, for the plant to reproduce. So for example, in my garden, I have yopon holly bushes. Uh, I talk about yopon holly in episode five of the podcast, but yopon holly is dioecious. There are male plants and female plants. And I happen to have three male plants and one female plant, which is pretty interesting. And you can tell it's a female plant because it's the one that gets berries. Uh, The female plant is the one that gets berries. The male plant does not. So that's what dioecious means. Monoecious means the plant has both male and female flowers on the same plant. And I think the most uh, common example of this is uh, that you might have seen is squash. So if you see squash blossoms, there's very clearly male squash blossoms that do not have the little fruit bulb at the back and there are ones that do have the little like baby squash at the back and those are the female flowers so the squash plant has both male and female flowers on the same plant so they are therefore monoecious so that's the definition of monoecious and dioecious and with that let's meet our guest and talk about our plant today which is stinging nettle Hi, Debbie. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Hi, Steve. Good to be here. Um, Do you have a plant to share with us today? I have a plant. I'll be talking about stinging nettle. Great. So before you continue, I have something to do that's very specific to this podcast, which I have to play this little sound effect, which hopefully you hear it well. That little dinging sound means that this is a special episode where we're only going to talk about one plant. Normally, the guest talks about a plant and I talk about a plant, but this episode, we're only going to talk about stinging nettle because it's a plant that I'm also very interested in. A little bit more aspirationally we can get into later. Um, But first, I want to hear about why you chose it, why it's meaningful to you. I like stinging nettle because it's it's a really nutritious plant. It's been used since ancient times for food and for other purposes. 
So it's very nutritious. It's good food. And um, I also like the way it sends itself. I like the fact that it has those stinging hairs. And I think it's amazing how they work. The plant is covered in these little hairs that end up like hypodermic needles. And they, if, if you brush up against the plant, injects chemicals into your skin. The, the, the hairs, they're called trichomes. And when something just gently brushes up against them, the tip of the hair breaks off. And it breaks at a sharp angle so that it's perfect to penetrate the skin. And at the base of, the, of this hair, there's a reservoir for some stinging chemicals. And the, the entire hair is one cell. That's another thing that amazes me. Oh, wow. Yeah, the bulb at the bottom and this hair, and you can actually, you can see them. They're not that small. The whole thing is one cell. And um, when something brushes up against the tip, it breaks off at that angle and forms, like if you've ever seen the end of a, a, a hypodermic needle, it has that angle. It's just like that. And it oh, wow. pierces the skin and injects these different chemicals as a combination of chemicals that uh, cause pain inflammation and welts on your skin. So I just think it's an amazing way for a plant to defend itself. Uh, when I talk about, when I start talking about stinging nettle, sometimes during programs, people will be like, why is she telling us about this plant? You know, who would want to put that into their mouth? Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why is because once the plant is cooked, as soon as it's heated, those little stinging hairs are destroyed. And it just becomes a great cooked vegetable. I always wondered exactly how that worked. And that makes a lot of sense. Because I, I had in my mind, in my little understanding of stinging nettle, that it is super nutritious, but it's also called stinging nettle. Yeah. But that, that makes it very clear that they, they just kind of uh, go away when you heat it. Yeah, when you heat it. And actually, um, like all you have to do is blanch the, the leaves for like a minute. And as soon oh, wow. as the plant is wilted, like any green, like like spinach or something would wilt, as soon as it's wilted, the, the hairs are destroyed and the sting goes away. And Very people interesting. also dry it, and, um, destroy the hairs by drying the plant. Um, I'm told I haven't done that. And also just by physically destroying them, like putting the nettles into your bullet blender and destroying them that way. Oh, oh, wow. Well, that that's, also yeah. seems easy. Um, mm-hmm. On the subject, I have a question that is important here, but on the subject of, of the chemicals, I was doing a little research actually just this morning about them, and my yeah. wife is a chemist, so I kind of key into oh, like okay. chemical names. Do you know what chemicals are in the stinger of a, of a stinging metal? Yeah. This blew me away. I know. Yeah. Um, one of them is formic acid, yes. which is that's, yeah, in the venom of like wasps and ants and mm -hmm. these things. And another one is histamine, which causes pain, yes. but also causes inflammation. And acetylcholine, and I think there are a couple yes. of others. Those, those are the three that come to mind. The is histamine, uh, the, the formic acid kind of made sense to me. I think a lot of plants use like an acid to like do pain, like a, a lot of extolic mm -hmm. acid-based plants, right? Like the histamine and acetylcholine, which are, are ne human neurotransmitters as well, which is very interesting. The third mm -hmm. one, which I think is one that most blew me away, is serotonin, serotonin which is very, yes. very, yes. Uh, serotonin, which is so mm -hmm. amazing that this, and you know, in the, when you get the when you get these in your skin, they cause it to itch, but these are things that actually actively work in your brain and 
in 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 a bunch mm-hmm, of different ways, yeah. as you said. Histamine is immune response. Right. Acetylcholine is neuromuscular signals, and then serotonin. Everyone knows is like the the happy chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that, yeah, I, right, I was just right. blown away by that, like that it, <laughs> that it uses these neurotransmitters as its toxin, which may yeah, I don't know. So so cool. So on to a different topic. I just we were on the topic of the sting, and I just had to talk about that because it was like really blew me away this mm-hmm. morning. But, oh yeah, no, that's it's pretty cool. How do you collect them? Because you know, sure you can boil the stingers away, but you have to get them to a yeah. pot somehow. Yeah, you have to. I always do it with my hand with with gloves on my hands. I always mm. I always use gloves when I when I collect them. Rubber gloves. Some people do it barehanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always wear rubber gloves. If you just grasp the leaf and you don't brush up against the plant, you can hold the leaf without it stinging you because those stinging hairs kind of, they're at an angle, like towards the tip of the leaf. And unless you rub the plant the wrong way, like against the grain kind of, kind of like rubbing a cat against the grain, then you don't get stung. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, so you you have to kind of like so, have some caution or or some some respect and knowledge before you can collect it without getting yeah. stung. Yes, it helps if you if you understand like how the hairs are on the leaf. So they're kind of angled at one in toward the tip of the leaf, and if you flatten them against the leaf, if you grab the leaf with your fingers and flatten those hairs, they don't get a chance to sting you. But if you just kind of gently brush up against those hairs and you're doing it in the wrong direction, then you'll get stung. And what does the sting feel like? I, I, I'm assuming you've maybe been stung in the past? Oh yeah, I've been stung. Um, <laughs> sometimes people say it's burning and itching. I never experienced the itching part, but it's burning. It's like you got stung, maybe not as bad as getting stung by a bee. But um, a burning, stinging pain, and you can get welts. I certainly get welts, like on the inside of my wrist when I get stung, and redness. And it's not that awful. You know, it goes away, but you know that you've been stung. And I've read about some, like, folk remedies for this to, like, get to help the sting. Do you know anything about that? I don't actually recall what some of those plants were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So if you get stung... Usually in the same location, you'll find plants like dock. You'll find dock growing. So uh, early dock or bitter dock. Early dock would be, they also call it yellow dock, Rumex crispus. And if you take those, and I know for a fact this works because I've done it several times. You just take the dock leaves and you crush them and rub it on the area. And the sting goes away. It really works. I know there's a lot of like anecdotes out there about that, but it really does work. So you have that or you have um, the bitter or broadleaf stock that works. Um, and then also plantain, plantago, that's another oh, one yeah. that works. Yeah. So cool. Uh, apologies if you hear a cat meowing, uh, Debbie and audience. Oh, my, that's okay. My one cat really <laughs> wanted to come in the room right now and that's he's okay. being quite demanding. But yeah, that's really interesting that like, the plants that grow nearby are kind of like the antidote uh, to yeah, the plant. That, yeah. 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 Sometimes you'll see that in nature, you know, like um, poison ivy. And the antidote for that would be jewelweed, which very often grows near poison ivy. 
Oh, cool. I'll remember that one. Yeah. I did an, I did oh, an yeah. episode yeah. where I talked about Poison Ivy and maybe somewhat foolishly mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the episode, I uh, exposed myself to Poison Ivy, but oh. I did not have a reaction. <laughs> and I oh, don't yeah. know whether... Yeah. Whether it's just because I'm 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 immune, which I know some people are, or whether that particular planet was just are. not very oil, yeah. oily that day. Um, but if I ever have it, I do. I have learned how to identify jewelweed, and maybe I'll talk about it in a future episode. So oh, good. that's a very good. Oh so yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool plant yeah. too. It is. That's a beautiful plant. Yeah, and you would just take the stem of it and to release that sap and rub it on the area, and that does work too. Wonderful. Oh, that's great tip. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit more about about food. Like, how how would one yeah. consume stinging nettle? What are some of your favorite ways to prepare it? Um, yeah, how okay. how do you eat it? You'd harvest the tops of the plants, like the the more tender tops of the plants, which you can get even like starting now. It's starting to come up now, so late winter into early spring, and you'd take the tops, maybe the first two or three sets of leaves with the tender stems. You'd bring them home, wash them off. And then expose them to some kind of heat. So I would usually blanch them in boiling water. And then take them out of the water, drain them, or you know, remove the nettles from the water, squeeze them out, chop, chop, chop. And, and then you have like cooked greens that you can use anywhere that you would use cooked greens, like cooked spinach. You could make pasta dish. You can do stinging nettle. Pizza, you could do stinging nettle quesadillas or stinging nettle soup is good. Simple pot of soup, little potato in there and um, puree it up. So anywhere you would use greens, you could put it in scrambled eggs or anywhere you'd use stinging nettles work. And what is the flavor like? It's it's very mild. It's it's a it's a pleasant taste. Not all wild greens. Um, you know, sometimes they can have a very earthy or funky taste or something. I find them very very neutral. Like you're eating like mild cooked greens, and then you can flavor them however you like. Put them up in. I, I almost always start with olive oil and garlic or garlic and onions, and make a simple side dish of stinging nettles with them. Just saute them up like that and add a squeeze of lemon and a, maybe pepper flakes. Mm. <laughs> Sounds very good. Yeah. Um, I, I, good. So I'm going to get back to, to the cooking and maybe collecting them, but just quickly to give you a little bit of my background and why I wanted to make this a special episode, even though I've never personally collected stinging nettle. Oh, okay. So as far as being a plant that is meaningful to me, it I don't have that personal connection but I have been kind of like personally interested in it for a long time. And I think it's, it's that idea of like when you yeah. hear about a stinging plant that you can eat, that's just a, a fascinating concept. Um, yeah. So I've done a lot of reading, but I've, I've, I've never, I've never seen it around me. Maybe I'm just not looking right. Oh. And so maybe I'll get some tips okay. on that view, but I did, I did recently, my wife and I were uh, traveling in Europe and we were in Liechtenstein and I saw some actually like, right oh. outside the castle of Liechtenstein, which is kind of a cool location. And I saw it and I was very yeah. proud of myself that I was able to identify it, but I was not in position to, to collect it right then. But I do know it grow. It should grow. I live in the DC area. It should grow around here too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You want to look in moist areas. Um, along streams or along paths or, you know, I've found them everywhere along, you know, the edges of parking lots or whatever, moist areas and like soil that's fairly rich, I think, but they're around. Yeah. I'm going to have to go, go look for them. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, 
here's another thing I was I was trying to read this morning about some interesting stuff about this plant. And the one thing that I came up, and I don't know if you know if you don't know anything about this, it's okay. I always say it's fair to, that the audience can just Google it too, because no, we, nobody yeah. knows everything. But I was really fascinated by this this idea that it you know it, it's primarily known as a European plant, and there was some discussion right. online yeah. that it is it is spread around the world. But then there's also some mm-hmm. talk that there is actually a Native American variety as well. Yes, there is. And I found it pretty interesting. Yep, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there is a Native stinging nettle. They call it, I think, California nettle or American stinging nettle. And it's native to the Western United States, but now it's spread all over. And it's um, the name of it... The, the name of stinging nettle, usually, if you look up stinging nettle, you'll see the name of it is Urtica dioica. And the native one was thought to be Urtica dioica subspecies gracilis. And now they're um, actually considering it a species in its own right. And it's our native stinging nettle. And it's... Um, it can be used interchangeably with the European ones. And sometimes it's even hard to tell them apart. I know around me here in Kenya, New Jersey, pretty much all I'm seeing is the European species. But yeah, we do have native stinging nettles. And um, the people who are native to this, you know, to United States, especially out West, native peoples, made great use of stinging nettles for food, for clothing, use the fiber from the plant to make cordage and have you ever used the nettle for for like cordage or anything like that i haven't no i haven't yes yeah, really so yeah on on the native stinging nettle the thing i think i was only reading a little bit about this so thank you for clarifying i think it makes a lot of yeah. sense the thing i thought was pretty interesting about it is and when i first started learning it too and kind of started be getting interested in it i heard it was this european plant that just spread all around the world which like there's a lot of things like mm-hmm. that right you talked about plantago right. earlier as one of those mm-hmm. but it's interesting how there's with a lot of stuff with plants there's always this like european citric centric assumption about plants and it's yeah. like yeah. some saw the nettle here at some point is that oh that of course is our nettle and just never considered until recently that it, it, it was mm-hmm. native. Of course, if you speak to native people here, they probably tell you for millennia that, of course, this is here from here. But I, it's just always interesting how the the history of a plant can be obscured by cultural context. And I thought that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm, right. Right. Yeah. So it got here who knows how long ago, you know, and um, yeah. it evolved here it, and it evolved to become its own separate species. And it's considered native here. Um, Very and I find it interesting also that, um, like the word, scientific name, Urtica dioica, um, dioica means two houses, so huh. like, like dioecious, the male and female flowers on separate plants. And they named it that because the European species are all dioecious, but the native one has evolved to be monoecious, where it of male and female flowers on one plant. So fascinating. What a what a very interesting yeah. plant. So mm-hmm. late winter, early spring is time to get them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and bring rubber small. gloves. They, they still sting you though. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And even though they're still very small, they will still sting you. And bring your gloves, bring good rubber gloves 
And just so people know, if you don't have gloves and you try to use like a plastic bag over your hand, the stingers will go through the plastic bag. <laughs> so I've done that. Okay. So you're talking like a like dish, doing the dishes, rubber gloves, that kind of stuff will work? Yeah. Do you pluck it or do you use like a, a scissors or how do you like separate the top? Yeah, I use little snippers, little scissors. Yeah, yeah. And, and if I have forgotten my gloves, I'll, I will use the method where I, you know, I, I grab the leaf with my fingers on one hand and then use the scissors with the other to clip off the top of the plant and then just throw them in a, in a bag and a large, like a big paper bag. Yeah, just you just want to make sure that while you're doing that, you're not accidentally brushing up against any of the nearby plants because that it's very easy to do that. But you'll know as soon as you do, you feel that <laughs> you know, thing. <laughs> How does it compare? I'm a beekeeper. How does it compare to a bee sting? Oh, oh, okay. I've I've been stung by different types of stinging insects, and it's it's not nearly as bad. And oh, of course, people experience it in different ways. So some people may tell you that it's you know it's that bad of a sting, but I don't think so. Not nearly as bad as a bee sting or a wasp. Yeah. I guess you could get a lot more of it though, because there's more hairs than than a single bee. But um, that's true. That's good. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not that awful. And a lot of people intentionally sting themselves for different reasons. You know. Oh, really? To make sure that they've got the right plant sometimes for identification purposes. Sometimes people will, you know, well, let me touch it. See, it, it looks like stinging nettles or. Um, you ever hear of earthification? No. That's an interesting one to Google. Earthification, where people intentionally expose themselves to stinging nettles to um, relief pain, I think usually from arthritis. And and that has a, there's a long history of that too. People kind of like whipping themselves with stinging nettle plants. And it supposedly does work. And Because I, I used to think, well, you're just like substituting one pain for another. But um, supposedly, if you do that, if you rub stinging nettle onto critic joint, onto your knee or something, it stops the pain, and the pain is relieved even after the stinging from the nettles subsides. The pain still is relieved. So there's something in there that works. I wonder if the serotonin and acetylcholine and histamine mm. have any kind of action right. there. That's very fascinating. Very, very right. fascinating. Right. That's what I wonder. Yeah. Yep, something in that combination there. Some of those chemicals are actually doing something. Okay, I have one last kind of round of question, but maybe anything else you want to bring up. But I'm very curious about, you mentioned at the very beginning that it's very nutritious, and I wonder what you have to say about why is it nutritious? Well, it contains a lot of things, Um, a lot of like health-promoting compounds in addition to vitamins. It's got a lot of vitamin A. Um. I think in a half cup of cooked nettles, it gives you more than your daily requirement for vitamin A. A lot of potassium, a lot of calcium, iron, manganese, which is a good one. Um, a lot of protein for a green plant and um, rich in fiber and a lot of antioxidants. Wow, it's <laughs> amazing. And, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I was reading one research about... Um, making tea, or I guess what they would call a water extract of, of fresh stinging nettles, and they found the optimal sting method is 10 minutes at 140 degrees. That leaves you with the most antioxidant activity. Oh, just a little tepid right. tea for the most, most yeah, powerful antioxidant. Kind of if you want to get the most from it, yeah. 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 And, Fascinating. But I remember that, um, that research article, they mentioned that the 
the antioxidant activity in the stinging nettle tea um, was greater than that of um, vitamin E, which is a well-known antioxidant, and quercetin, and also BHA and BHT, those synthetic antioxidants, that it was more powerful than them. So wow. Maybe like, yeah, isn't that cool? So yeah, super cool. Stinging nettle tea or stinging nettle, you know, as a potential natural antioxidant, so you don't have to use so much of these questionable synthetic food preservatives. Yeah, very fascinating. Um, I wonder if you can think about, you know, I was explaining how I have this kind of fascination with it and I've never really seen it. I wonder if you, if you, if you can tell me about when maybe you first learned about it. Yeah, I remember when I was first stung and it was like, oh, yes, yes. this is stinging nettle. Um, but yeah. Um, Tell me more about that. About when I got first stung. Well, actually, and, and I was interesting because um, I brushed up against a leaf with my finger and it really stung. It was really a hot burning sting. And I felt it until the next day, which I think is kind of unusual. I don't think people usually feel the effects of stinging nettle for that long. And the first joint of my finger, like I could feel it. It felt like almost like in the joint. Wow. Very interesting. And, and you were going to say something else about another, something else about gathering it? Oh, well, what I think is interesting is sometimes I can tell where a stinging nettle patch is just by the smell. Um, oh. And yeah, it's, I know it's going to sound weird. Um, it smells like cat pee. And I hate <laughs> to say that because I don't want to turn people off to this plant because it's a wonderful plant. But it smells like cat urine. Am I allowed to say the word pee? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, it smells like cat urine. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I can tell sometimes when I'm coming close to a patch of stinging nettles, I can smell that cat urine smell. And it's not just in my head either because my husband smells it as well. Um, and I try Googling that to see, you know, if other people described it like that. And there are only a couple of references I could find to that kind of like smell of stinging nettles. Um, yeah, but it is odd. I can even like if I had a, a bag full of them in the car, even if it's in the trunk. I remember having a a big open paper bag of stinging nettle tops and it was in the trunk of the car and I could actually smell it in the passenger compartment. So it's oh, a wow. distinct smell, which goes away. The smell goes away like when you cook it. But still, I could smell it in my kitchen and it wasn't just from one location. So I know that that's a thing. It's not just, you know, like, well, for some re weird reason, like the nettles from this place over here smell bad. It's, it's a thing. Very interesting. I, yeah, I, odd. I, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit, you know, similar and I haven't had many experiences like that. I'm definitely like a very in, inexperienced forager, but, um, the experience I had like that is with pawpaws, where you can tell it's much, much more strong, oh, I guess, yeah. and, and very clear. Oh, but you can yeah. tell that uh -huh. you're getting close to them, and yep. when they're ripe, is is very in your face. Mm -hmm. Yep, when there are enough ripe ones on the ground, yeah, you can definitely smell a pawpaw patch. Yeah, that's a more pleasant smell though than that. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Even if they're kind of fermented. Yep. Indeed. Well, did, did we, before we sign off, did we miss any fun facts or dazzling details about stinging nettle? Let's see. What else about stinging nettle? Um, used to be used as a fiber, like a textile. I think 
they say it's mean nettle is oldest known fiber textile used for clothing. They'd use it Whoa. for like clothing and cordage and making fishing nets and stuff. Yeah, in Europe. Um, and it was, yeah, a really important textile material along with wax and hemp. That is pretty cool, I think. What else? I always talk about poison ivy. I'm not poison ivy. <laughs> I like to talk about, when I do programs, I talk about stinging nettle lookalike plants. And there's another stinging plant out there called wood nettle which is also edible. So if you make the mistake, it's not a problem. But wood nettle also has stinging hairs. And there's another lookalike called clearweed, which doesn't really look so much like stinging nettle. It's kind of, the plant is kind of translucent and it has no hairs on it. So clearweed is another, some people think is a lookalike. And then there's false nettle. False nettle really looks like stinging nettle, but it has no stinging hairs. And then there's white snake root. And that's the only one that I know of to be concerned about in terms of toxicity because white snake root can look like stinging nettle, but it doesn't have the stinging hairs. Wouldn't want to get it mixed up with that one. If you got it mixed up with that one, um, that's not good. That's when you might want to try stinging yourself. Yeah, exactly. If you're not you do sure, that yeah. crash course and say, "Yep, let me touch it," <laughs> and I'll know. Yeah, you always want to check for those stinging hairs. If you're not sure, you don't eat it. And um, yeah, snake root doesn't have stinging hairs. That's the plant that killed Abraham Lincoln's mother. You know that story? No. Oh, okay. You want to Please Google do that? Tell. Yeah. The plant. <laughs> I, yeah. I would love to hear if you if you've got it. I'd love to hear a, a quick version of that if you have. That sounds fascinating. Oh, okay. Yeah. Snake root, white snake root. Um, they say it's the plant that killed Abraham Lincoln's mother. So back in those days, a lot of people were dying from something called milk sickness. And a long story short, um, the cows were eating white snake root and the poison was going into their milk. And then people would drink the milk. Whoa. Affected by it. Yeah. And it supposedly killed a lot of people, including Abraham Lincoln's mother. Wow! Wow! Like that. Yeah. What? It, I, I wonder. Uh, diagnosing that issue back in those days must have been really a real yeah. mystery. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually was. I think it was a, a female doctor who who finally understood what was going on and and figured out. You know, don't let your cows eat white snake root. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So don't get white snake root mixed up with stinging nettle. <laughs> The stinging nettle only will still be found to stand, the numberless, the lonely, the thronger of the land, the leaf that hurts the hand, that thrives come sun, come showers, blow east, blow west, it springs, it peoples towns and towers above the courts of kings, and touch it and it stings. The Stinging Nettle by A.E. Hausman. Stinging nettle. I really can't wait to go out and uh, try to harvest some stinging nettle of my own. And I'm really thankful to Debbie for sharing her knowledge about the plant. And I think I feel more confident in going out and finding it on my own. But with that, before we go, just a little disclaimer. And we say this on every episode we talk about foraging is do so at your own risk and responsibility. You know, it's up to you to be sure about what plant you're going to gather from the wild and eat because sometimes it can be dangerous. As Debbie said, Uh, The plant white snake root, which can look like stinging nettle, is quite poisonous. And so you have to be very careful. And Rootbound has no responsibility that this is 
all up to you to be responsible for how you gather anything from the wild. Uh, you know, it's not just for safety, but it's also for respect. You know, you don't want to overgather things. We talked about that in a previous episode as well. So be responsible, be safe before you forage any wild plant. And on that topic, I got a little email from Debbie after the show with some information regarding safety. And Debbie says, I always tell people to learn as much as they can about a plant until they feel comfortable using it and to cross-check multiple reliable sources. Also, if they have any medical conditions, sometimes this needs to be considered. With stinging nettle, I advise that the use of nettles during pregnancy is controversial, so it's best to avoid. So there's a little bit of advice about stinging nettle from Debbie and... Everyone just be safe, be responsible, and uh, thanks for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Debbie Naha Koretsky. Debbie is a foraging instructor, licensed dietitian slash nutritionist, Rutgers Master Gardener, Pennsylvania Master Naturalist, and expert in wild edible plants. You can learn more about Debbie at her website, which is wildediblesnjpa.com. That's New Jersey, Pennsylvania. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com support and find all the ways you can support the show, including just telling a friend. Rootbound is hosted by Stinging Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside and you plan on picking some stinging nettle, don't forget to bring your rubber gloves. Making forests more magical, one non-vascular plant at a time. Moss.